is Film Friday, so you know what that means. This week, we take Corey Hawkins straight out of Compton, away from New York, and we drop his ass in the middle of the ocean on a boat with a damn monster. I wonder how this is going to play out. Hey everybody, thank you so much. Welcome back, all you cinephiles, film nerds, and movie aficionados. Welcome guys to Flicks and Scripts with Jay Starks. I am Jay Starks, the host of this illustrious podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining. Y'all, I am excited because this mm, is the first episode for Horror October. I don't know if that's the name we're going to call it, but whatever. It's Halloween month, okay? That means every single, every single one of these bad boy reviews will be done revolving a horror film. <laughs> <coughs> Ooh, I'm okay. Anyway, thank you guys so much. Uh, this one, I was, I, I, ooh. I decided to release the first, um, you know, few of these in September because I didn't want to open up with all horror films in October. So that's why I did September. But once I dropped in September, I was eagerly waiting to do the Halloween ones. October, you know, whatever. I just say it's the month of Halloween. So let's just jump into it. OK, because this one, in addition to being our First horror film review of the podcast. We got a special guest. That's right, folks. I am bringing in one of my first guests to talk film. And I'm excited about it. I have a lineup of some amazing people that I'm hoping to bring on. And I have some people that I know I plan to bring on. But this is going to be our first guest. So you'll get a chance to meet him during the post-production segment. So Let's, uh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and do my breakdown per usual. And yeah, let's get to it. So the last voyage of the Demeter, guys, this one came out in 2023 this year. And I was excited about it because I only saw bits of the trailer and I knew it was like a vampire thing. So as a kid, vampires have always and even as adults have always intrigued me. There's something about it, you know, about the lore of a vampire to me that I gravitate typically towards vampire horror movies. It's just, it's just a thing that I do, you know, like, you know, I don't really do like the, I mean, I've watched the, uh, the, the ones when people were like, you know, demonically possessed. I'm like, okay, I'll watch it, but that's a little, that's a little scary for me. You know, like I don't know if that stuff is real, but like a vampire, it'll be dope if it was real. But I I just feel as though it's less of a chance, you know, anywho. So the last voyage of the Demeter was released in 2023. It is rated R 118 minutes fantasy horror. Yeah, let's get some fantasy horror up in this thing. This is going to be the first. Well, the first fantasy horror. Tina Tina was kind of horrific, but that's because little kids creepy. Anywho. So uh, let's read our log line here. So log line says a crew sailing from Varna which is Bulgaria, by the Black Sea to England, find that they are carrying very dangerous cargo. Ooh, man. Yes, buddy. 
So um, we're going to break down some of our, our key cast and crew here. And please forgive me if I butcher anyone's name. As I mentioned, I don't look up anything before jumping into this just because I don't want to accidentally get any spoilers. So I apologize. So our director here looks as though it is Mr. Now, this is it's a name and it has a lot of, um, you know, it, it has the E with the dash over it and the O has a slash between it. So I might be messing up the name. So not an American name, one would assume. But Andre Overdahl is what I'm thinking it is. So that's our director. And yeah, this is I feel as though from a crew experience like the writer, there's a the writer is. Oh, man, this is kind of a cool name. The writer is Braggy F. Shut, S C H U T B R A G I, which is kind of cool because I isn't that um, Braggy? He's a he's is that a Norse god? Am I pronouncing it right? I think so. Anyway, so yeah, he was the screenplay by screen story by, and the actual screenplay itself was is excuse me written by Zach Olkowitz, and is of course based off of Bram Stoker's. Uh, the log of the Demeter. So, I mean, come on, that's classic, right? Our producers, Bradley J. Fisher, Mike Medovoy, Medovoy, and Arnold Messer. Ooh, this is exciting. Composer is none other than Bear McCreary. I love his work. Oh, yeah. Like, this guy has done a little bit of, like, he... He was a composer, eight episodes for Lord of Rings, The Rings of Power, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, Battlestar Galactica. He also was the composer for, if you are a video game enthusiast, um, what is it called? Oh, the one where he's a boy. God of War. That's what, that's what it's called. So he also composes for video games, too. That guy is amazing, man. I, I love his work. Love, love, love his work. Now, production designer is edward thomas edward thomas so that one he oh he was production designer of for escape room tournament of champions saw that movie wasn't well, my favorite movie but whatever that was by the way tournament of champions is like the sequel to escape room which is the first one he production designed both of those i will say one thing not my favorite movies to watch but i did love the production design of both of those films because it did make you feel feel as though you were in an escape room but a more focused um focused realistic one i i i feel as suppose it makes you feel less like a like you're playing a game for those i guess i should say for anyone who has not played an escape room basically you and maybe a couple strangers and your friends you get locked into a a room literally and it's normally modestly kind of decorated where you find little clues to escape out of that room. And typically you'll get into another room and it might be two or three rooms unless you go to a real cheap one. And then it's just the one room. But anyway, so they're modestly decorated. But the escape room films were done really well, almost to the point where you feel as though the characters were just dropped into an existing home and some stranger locked the door. And you got to get the hell out like and I love I, I feel as though. Even though I was not the biggest fan of those films, because of the production design, it did make me stay 
in the film a little bit more. It, it, it the suspension of disbelief was easier, you know, if that makes sense. But yeah, so he's production designed a couple of things that I've seen. So that's really, really cool. Um, Resident Evil, the final chapter. That's a pretty popular one um, that he actually produced, not excuse me, not produced that he production designed. So, yeah, that's that's got to be that's going to be fun to see what he did with this. And especially like nowadays, we don't see many films that take place on boats that I can recall. So this would be kind of cool just to see what they do and how it places you into that time frame. You know, I'm excited about it. Let's get into our our so I did composers. Okay, yeah, let's get into our cast. Our top build cast is Mr. Corey Hawkins, an amazing, amazing talent, man. Corey Hawkins is amazing. If you are into TV, he was on The Walking Dead for a stint. He was also in uh, 24 Legacy for a good bit of episodes, the young African-American man. He was uh, one of the... A very popular film he pl he played in was Straight Outta Compton. Straight Outta Compton! He played Dr. Dre in that. He was in Kong Skull Island. He was Benny in, in The Heights. He was Kwame in Black Klansman. He was, what was um the, oh, Joe Cohen and Denzel. I haven't seen this movie yet, and I'm excited about watching it. So I'm definitely going to do a review of that one. But the Joe Cohen, Joel Cohen, excuse me, because they kind of split or at least broke up him and his brother, Ethan. And what was it called with uh, man, Denzel Washington? Oh, this is going to bug. This is going to bug me. The tra yes, the tra the the the, the tra tragedy of Macbeth. Oh, my gosh. I So, yeah, I will be reviewing that one coming up. I haven't watched it yet because it was on Apple and I don't have Apple. So I got to find who got Apple out there. Let me use your Apple account so I can watch this movie that I've been itching to watch for two years and then you know i don't you know just let me just let me hold it you you don't got to tell nobody okay but anyway he played mcduff in there so if you saw the tragedy of Macbeth, he was mcduff this man is amazing i i've not seen a film or tv show for that matter that he's been in that i've not appreciated and liked him so our continue on with our top bill cast he's uh we have him we have this is a name i may mess up so i i apologize Aisling Francoisi? Question mark? That's that my voice went up because that's a question mark. But she was in the fall Game of Th Oh, she was Lana Stark in two episodes of of uh Game of Thrones. Okay. I think I know who she is now. Yeah, that's cool. So yeah, we'll see her. She was also in the Unforgivable and the Nightingale. And let's to round out our top three here, we have Liam Cunningham. Now, for those he's playing Captain Elliot, for those who are not aware of Mr. Liam Cunningham, also a great, phenomenal actor. He was in uh, Clash of the Titans, which was my favorite thing. But you will probably more likely recognize him as Davos from Game of Thrones. So we got a little Game of Thrones connection. So, yeah, he was Davos in Game of Thrones. So, yeah, like this guy always has has been working a long time and has always done a great job. So yeah, super duper excited about this film. As far as my um my my thoughts. As I said, I I barely watched the trailer cuz I just saw like a Dracula vampire thing I was like sold, I'm in there. I am hoping 
for number one phenomenal acting from between Corey and Liam. Now, what I'm curious about is how the CG will play out and more importantly, how the monster design will play out because monster design is very important for horror films, especially. I do like the Bear McCreary is the composer because I'm hoping for some nice unsettling, you know, uh, score. Hopefully that sound design is really there to put us into the mindset of these these folks that were living during this area of course you know this is a fantasy but this is so completely separate from how we live today that costuming is super important production design crazy important and all of these other factors i feel as though as i mentioned in some of my other reviews production design for things that are more contemporary are a little bit out of i'm not saying it's easy so i'm not trying to say that or belittle it but i mean in the vein of production design for contemporary pieces that are just supposed to be quote-unquote normal wouldn't i assume and feel would be easier because it's what's happening but when you're doing something like this or you know one of those films that took place at a different time you know in the past or in the future production design really plays a huge huge part of it and that comes also like i said costumes and everything else because it's not what the norm is at this point in time so that'll be the question whether or not all of that comes into play and really excels so i'm excited about it let's see we'll see if um if it's as good as i hope so yeah let's get ready to watch the last voyage of the meat the meat blah blah so Let's get ready to watch The Last Voyage of the Demeter. We'll go ahead, as usual, we'll have our intermission. And then when we come back, my great friend, I've, I've known him for a while, will be joining us, Mr. Tyler Oglesby. I'm excited. We'll do a little introduction. Then we'll get into the film review. So hope you guys enjoyed this one as much as I hope to. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to our pre-production segment for The Last Voyage of the Demeter. As usual, this is our intermission section, our, our middle section, so to speak, to kind of give you a little uh, a sneak peek at what we got going on here. We have some amazing films scheduled for October. The next one up, the very next one that we have coming up is Something is Wrong with the Children. Yeah, that one's on Amazon Prime. I believe it's uh, creepy kids back again. I know we did Tina Tina, but those kids had like, you know, the blonde hair and the albino look. These kids have the dark hair look. Either way, you put two creepy ass kids together, you know, some fucking weird shit is going to happen. So that's what's going to be coming up um, next up. The theatrical release we're going to be looking at is going to be They Live Inside Us. That's going to be a good one. I'm going to watch that one in the theaters and hope that I'm scared of shit and it's not like a bunch of preteens talking throughout the whole thing. Anywho, um, once again, thank you guys. If you have, you know, been listening to all the previous episodes, I greatly appreciate it. But we're going to get into the last voyage of the, the Demeter, which is our first, as I mentioned already, our first October Horroween. Oh, maybe that's the name of it. 
Horroween. I was saying Horrortober. Horroween. I like that better. Whatever. Anyway, this is our first introduction to our all horror series in October, and every year we'll be doing this. As I mentioned before, I have a special surprise, guys. This is the first episode, not only for Horrorween, but also I have a special guest with me that's going to help me with some post-production breakdown. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, all you cinephiles and movie fictionados, film nerds, please welcome a close friend of mine, Mr. Tyler Oglesby. Thanks for the introduction, Jay. I'm excited today to talk about The Last Voyage of the Demeter. Oh yeah, man! I, uh, I I told everybody during the the pre production segment that I was ecstatically waiting on this one, man. I've I've been super excited about trying to watch this one, so I'm happy I finally got the chance to do it. the The movie theater that was closest to me in Atlanta is it, it, only a eight uh eight screen, and it's a newer one, so it's the best one. But it didn't play there, and it was playing at like the. 14 or 16, which is like the older one. And I happened to see that it was on Prime. So I was like, all right, I guess I'll do it on here. So that's how I was able to watch it. I was a little saddened because I didn't want to drive, you know, 35 minutes to movie theater. I'm lazy. Yeah. Like that. But um, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's worth driving 45 minutes too, but yeah. And you know, especially if it's like a movie, you're not quite sure and that's going to be good. So, ah, but yeah. So, um, but we'll let's um we'll get into a little bit more of that. But before we get into the post production segment, just want to give a little a little introduction. As I said, this is Tyler. Um, we've known each other for how long now? A decade plus, right? And as I mentioned before, I worked at a movie theater, and this young man also worked with me. That's where we kind of met up and nerded out about films together, and kind of sort of been friends since then. Um. I do want to wrap up the intermission section so we get into the post-production, which is the juicy part of it, part of it. But before we get into that, Tyler, what, you got something going on right now. What are you working on right now? And then what do you have that's out there that people might be able to get their hands and eyeballs and ear holes in? Right now, working on all the short. Uh, waiting for it to be completed right now. It's in the editing process. Working on a sitcom web series. Also, right now, if you want to check it out, the interview is on YouTube. Okay, so yeah, the interview. Yeah, so a little shameless plug. I actually acted in that one. I produced that one. Yeah, Tyler wrote the interview, and it can be found on, if you go to jstarks.com, go to my Vimeo, and that's where you can find it. So, Or you can search the interview on YouTube. We'll make sure to put the links in here, too, so that way you can go find it. But yeah, so yeah, Tyler wrote that one. And it was pretty fucking awesome, if I could say. And that's not just because I was in it. I meant in regards to the the story that you were trying to tell, which was really cool. It turned out well. Yeah, I. You know what? It normally, as I already told people, I direct things a lot. But that one, I had a a buddy of mine direct it, and it turned out so good. And it was also awesome just to sit back as just an actor. I did all the producer work. And then I just kicked my, my, you know, my heels up and did my acting thing. I mean, I was still stressing out about producing stuff, but as any producer will probably tell you. But yeah, I think that turned out really, really well. And I, I definitely dig your your sense of um, 
storytelling, which is why we always work together. Speaking of working together, you mentioned that you had one in post-production. What's that one about? Well, it's about two guys who clean up after Hitman. It's kind of like a be like a comedy crime thriller. Is what you know what? When that releases, we'll make sure to have you back on so we can talk about a new film and more importantly, talk about that one as well, too. Oh, yeah, I'm actually waiting to see the first cut. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was our intermission. Um, thank you so much, Tyler. And now we're going to get into our post-production breakdown right after this. All righty, folks. Thank you so much, Tyler. And welcome as our first official guest to... Flicks and Scripts with Jay Starks. I greatly appreciate you being here, sir. Um, you ready to talk about The Last Voyage of the Demeter? Yeah, let's let you uh, lead off. Okay. You know what? I want to. I talked a lot during the uh, pre-production segment about the production design, the possible production design, right? And I was mentioning... How? Because, of course, you know, I do, you know, art crew. I do on set dresser for feature films and, and commercials. And it has really made me develop a sincere love for production design, even for, further than what I already had. Just knowing the work that it takes to create that world. Because, you know, if it was just two actors in the empty space or like this one, if they, the voice of the meter, but it took place in an apartment room, then that automatically kind of throws you off. You know, it helps with that suspension of disbelief. So production design is usually one of my first ones. So I kind of want to talk about that. I was excited about what they would bring being the title of the film is the last voyage of the Demeter. So I, I one would assume that said movie would be taking place on the ocean. And I, I was correct. <laughs> um, Cause you know, sometimes they, they, they misconstrue or it might, Oh, it might start on the ocean. Then it takes place somewhere else. So I was happy that the majority of the movie, I mean, like until the last, what, five minutes or so was all on the ocean. And I thoroughly enjoyed how it looked. I, I mentioned that, these type of films that that show the olden days take a little bit more work for lack of a better term to pull off whatever what that world is looking like there's going to be more than likely some kind of research that has to be done on you know how something looked even from a costume design and for this one from a ship design etc cetera, etc cetera, versus a film that takes place now that's contemporary where it's kind of like okay just make it look lived in and aside from color palette choices for the you know color psychology then with these older films much more work i feel goes into it especially in the whole vein of like making things look old and what have you, you know what did you think about the the production design the look of the ship especially and the the costumes yeah, I actually have to agree with you on that. This point, that's probably one of the things I did enjoy about the movie is the whole look of it, the overall look. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I believe, believe the setting. I thought like even the digital ocean looked really good. Mm -hmm. Speaking of the way it shot, I looked up the cinematographer. I don't know if you know Tom Stern. Tom or, Stern. Now off the top of my head. In Clint Eastwood's films, and Clint Eastwood you know, shoots films like very old school. Mm -hmm. I, thought, I thought like it trans transitioned really well to, to this film. 
Yeah, I would agree. And you know what? Thank you so much for bringing that up. I normally mention a cinematographer in the the pre-production segment and I completely skipped over that. So, yeah, thank you for bringing that back. You just you just saved me, saved my ass. But, yeah, I definitely loved that what you were mentioning, that old school film look. And I'm not quite sure what kind of camera they shot or the shot on film or what have you. But right. the way the color palette that they chose definitely helped lend a hand in what they were trying to do. I assume they were going for like an 1830s horror look, is what I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Almost, yeah. And especially, I, I love, and I, I feel as though a lot of times movies, you have to set that that example of what the world is almost instantly. And I'm sure most people would agree. So that the look when... um. Well, whereas they were in, oh man, Varna, Bulgaria at the ship dock. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When they first introduced the characters and it immediately just like, OK, this is what this this is going to look like. This is the feel that that grungy kind of because we living in 2023, which is the year right now, we don't you know, we have our own vices and things that we have to deal with. But living during that time you know had to be incredibly hard you know like right we we can go down to to the the supermarket get some food and shit and like there nope you got to kill it gut it know how to you know so i feel as though that setting the way they set it up number one kind of already put you into that mindset of of the hardship of what they have to go like the the old guy that was missing an eye that was like i can be a sailor and it was like and I thought it was going to be like a joke, but they took him because he had all that experience and just how hard of a life it was to just survive back there was intense. And I feel like it really kind of set that up from the beginning, you know? So, yeah, yeah, yeah it really felt lived and like it been beat down. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. So that was cool. I always and that man, they had a lot of extras, too, man. And that's. I have worked on films with extras and they can sometimes be a handful. So anytime there's a lot of moving parts with extras, I'm always impressed because the ADs, the first AD and you know, they got their work cut out and maybe the second, second or whatever, (laughs) but it's like, Oh man. Ooh, that's 30 people. That was a pain in the ass. I guarantee. And that's like, you know, on films that I work on, don't have like the moving uh, special effects, like when the box fell, et cetera. So yeah. But um, speaking of production design and boxes, that's a good little segue. I gotta say that I loved the design of the coffin. Oh yeah, it was just like because like when they first show it, it looks like any other cargo hold, you know, container or what have you, and it wasn't shaped like the the coffin that you would think about, you know, with the the shoulders and the, the, the thing of that nature is just a, a box with dirt in it, but it had emblazoned like the, the dragon logo. And later on in the film, they actually had like mechanics working within it to how the Dracula creature got out. And I thought that was definitely interesting. You know, what do you think about that? Yeah. I like all that. I'm not sure they any of that from the book. I'm not sure where that came from. It's just the original idea. Oh, got Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Cause I'm trying to remember like Bram Stoker's it's been so long since I watched that, that I don't remember if they, mm-hmm. I cannot recall what the coffin looked like or if they showed it or. 
I know, yeah, this movie's based off like one chapter out of the original novel. See, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, because I, yeah, it caught, and I think it was literally called what the, yeah, the log of the Demeter or something like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that would make yeah. sense. The captain's log. Sorry, yeah, and I'm I'm curious how many pages because the reason I say this is because. You know, Bram Stoker's is pretty dense material. So, okay, writing a, a movie from that, whatever. But how I'm curious how big this particular story was and how they managed to pull out 118 minutes of film, you know. So that's an intriguing part. And I, th- I feel as though, like you said, they did a great job of putting you in that world to let you just, mm-hmm. no pun intended, go for the ride. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that man, I I absolutely man, I love that coffin design. I thought that was so cool. The costumes were well done. They looked I I when I was directing theater a lot and we had to do kind of old school looks or whatever for costumes, then like tea staining, I'm and I'm sure I'm wondering if they did something along those lines, but you would take like a white cloth or whatever and you would literally dip it in tea to kind of get that antiquing brown that is one of my favorite fucking things to do when it comes to when it comes to staining or aging clothes clothing you yeah you dip it in some tea maybe some coffee or you can kind of but that's typically tea staining is the typical thing that you do and you can do it for almost anything you could if you get um some dense like canvas you know what i mean you can dip it and kind of get that mappy look and then you burn the edges that is one of my favorite things about once again the art department is like how do i create this this visual look and of course it's all fake for the most part you know what i'm saying but how do you sell the look and once again like tea staining um shirts and all of that things and de distressing them and aging them that's that's the that's the cool shit that i like about costume design and art design so yeah but yeah definitely loved everything about the production design it I loved, I know this is going to be weird, but I loved the wetness of it, if that makes sense. No, right. Yeah, because, you know, it kind of puts you into into the mindset of the workers being on a ship, taking this long-ass voyage with rain and water. It's got to be a wet environment, environment for them, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, I like costume design. It's nothing like takes me out of a movie more than like feeling like it's very modern and then it, I, it goes with like hairstyles too. yeah i thought everyone they were from that period yeah i did yeah it's, it's funny you say that because um talking about the hairstyles i did like the hairstyles that they chose like for um liam the the guy who liam cunningham who played captain elliot i love those like you know that was the game of thrones guy and he had those kind of chops that curled around it's like yeah you know, it's just a it's a beard you don't see that often <laughs> in twenty twenty three, and I always thought it was cool. Said yeah, he's great for that kind of role. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I I even like Corey Hawkins, who his character being Clemens. Uh, I don't recall many movies that Corey has had so much facial hair, mm-hmm. but I you know so I appreciated that because I feel as though that was kind of kind of the look you know the clean shaven were for the more aristocratic kind of folks. So I appreciated that as well too, even to the point that once he arrived in London, then he'd had just a goatee. So he was a little more shaven 
and dressed a little better because of that, you know, by his character being a doctor, then ideally, then hopefully things are a little bit better for him in London as far as climbing that social ladder, so to speak, you know. So, but yeah, so yeah, love that hair that you mentioned that. So yeah, um, what did you think about, we were talking about things being wet. So the wetness, yes, it helped with the production design because it helped everything feel damp and right. made, to me, made me feel like moist, like nasty, you know. But what was also cool about it, which a lot of people who work in the film industry know, like, you know, being on a ship and having that much water means they were doing wet downs, mm -hmm. which means that there's extra shimmer for the light. Yep. So anybody who doesn't work in the film um, industry, wet down is typically if you watch almost any film and it happens at night and you just look and like, man, it looked like it just rained outside. That's because if they have the budget that they will literally drive a truck full of water down and wet down the stuff, be it the concrete, uh, the street or whatever. So that's what a wet down is in this case, they were on a ship. So the wet down was on the ship, but what it does, it allows light to reflect. So you get a little bit more depth in your shot and it just, it just makes it pop a little bit more. What did you think about the lighting? Yeah. Uh, not as, uh, I'm not really expertise in lighting as much, but I, I, I no complaints for me. Very shadowy. I loved how they played in the shadows with the sh moving shadows, I guess is what I should say. I really loved that. You mentioned earlier that uh, Mr. Tom Stern kind of did that older school, old school looking feel. And right. this is one of those situations in which case, like I said, I already agree with you, but yes, I feel as though like older movies, older mm -hmm. films, especially horror films, uh, didn't rely. I don't recall. I think there might have been one quote unquote jump scare in this entire thing, but you saw it coming a mile away. It was when um, the uh, oh man, the first mate was up in the crow's nest and you saw the wings disappear and you knew that he was going to come at the screen. Right. I think that was the one, but you saw that coming a mile away. And that to me is a very, uh, is an older technique because nowadays so many horror films have yeah. to have, you know, jump scares every two seconds, which is why I got excited that Bear McCreary was uh, the composer for it because he typically airs on the more somber, emotional beats of storytelling, you know, with music. Yeah, score was great too. I enjoyed the score. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, let's talk about the monster. Okay. What do you what do you what, what are you what are your thoughts on the Dracula monster? That that technically official did did they give it a name? Did the did the 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 young lady from um Romany give it a name? Anna? I can't remember if she actually said yeah, Dracula. I think she says Dracula, I think. I feel like I've heard I heard the name mentioned. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. But yeah, so what what are your thoughts on that? Uh that it's funny. I remember seeing the trailer and thinking I wasn't big on the design, but after seeing the movie, I really, really liked it way more than I anticipated. I like how they went mostly practical with it. Mm -hmm. It's always the right thing. They cast um, Javier Lopez. Yeah. He's like a seven guy and he's been like a monster in numerous horror films, particularly the record series. Oh, the record Spanish. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I haven't seen that. Okay. Okay. I feel as though they showed it to, it wasn't what I was expecting. Mm -hmm. It was much more bat-like than I 
initially presumed it would be. I see. You know what I'm saying? I, and I don't I'm not necessarily saying that in a bad way per se. Mm-hmm. But what I enjoyed about it initially, of course, like we talked about the shadows and not really showing a whole lot. I loved it when he was creeping in the shadows and you could just see uh silhouettes of him or a passing, you know, the the light barely gleaming off of a shoulder or whatever. And that to me was like the ooh, that's cool. I feel as though from a character design point, like you mentioned Javier, who typically does a lot of uh horror films. So they they got a creature actor to do it, which is awesome. And I loved some of the movements, like when we first start discovering that he was on the ship. I love the movements there. And I feel as though that to me was creepier than the actual full bat. I feel as though it made it less scary when he was in bat form. I say that watching it. If a big ass like nine foot bat flew into my face, I'd I'd probably shit my pants. You know what I mean? Right. Now, I I think I do agree that I like the design from the standpoint that I haven't seen. I can't recall a main release for lack of a better term or a wide release film with Dracula that or any vampire that showed it as nasty, ugly and monstrous. Mm. Would you agree to that? I think so. Yeah. I haven't seen a ton of vampire movies, but I was happy this one did something different with it. Especially in terms of Dracula. Yeah. Because I think especially with something, I mean, the whole folklore of vampires is as old as time. And how do you reinvent yourself to make it yours and make it special? And that's where I can appreciate the bat design. Not my, not what I was expecting, but I definitely appreciate it because it didn't fall into whatever. And I mean, and then there's some movies that decide some franchises that decide to do vampires and have them fucking sparkle with no teeth, which is just the opposite direction of where you need to go. Oh, twilight. Ah, Oh, uh, then what did you watch? Did you watch Twilight? No, I haven't um, seen this. You didn't. Oh man, I had to preview one. Um, getting off course, I had to preview one at Regal, and our mutual friend Michelle had read the books of Twilight, and I I love vampires. They're like, oh, vampire movie? Hell yeah! I had no idea what Twilight was about. I knew it was based off of the book, mm-hmm. and. To to the listeners, I, I mentioned earlier that we used to work in movie theater, so we would have to build films on you know on the the actual film, not a hard drive. So we would build them, and we would always have to watch them before the public watched them because you don't want the people to come watch something that you screwed up. And I remember watching it with her, and I can't remember who else was in there. I just know she was beside me, and she was geeking out about watching. Uh, twilight and when is his name edward cullen is that his name yeah that's the vampire the lead vampire oh geez oh man i don't know how i remember that i think it's embedded because i hate it so much (laughs) but edward cullen aka batman um when he was a vampire batman like was talking to bella and was like oh delight i'm like oh shit what's about to happen and then he just started glowing like glitter on his face and I looked at Michelle like I wanted to fight her so badly. 
I've never been so that is by far the most disappointing vampire movie I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's pretty- but I guess it's probably not about the vampires. But I, yeah, and you said you haven't seen any of them. Uh, only little clips I've seen when I've walked theater. <laughs> That's what. Oh man, this is what we should do. We should we should have look. Um, hey guys, anybody listening? If y'all want Tyler to watch Twilight and then do a review of it, let us know. Email us at flips and scripts the podcast at gmail dot com or slide into the DMs and let us know. And then we'll have time. That's fine. I'm definitely not against it. <laughs> oh, so anyway, not my is not my worst uh, vampire design, but it just wasn't well expected. But I did, like you said, I did appreciate the originality of it because we all have heard they takes a bat form, but he literally stayed in bat form the whole damn time. Yep. Maybe him being in the bat form like, the whole time does make it like less scary because. You know, you think of Dracula, he's kind of like smart and cunning and he's got like all this charisma and like all that's kind of stripped away in this movie. And he's almost just just the monster. Yeah. Yes. That's a great point, man, because I was thinking that when you mentioned the cunning and that fear, like one of the I wouldn't say necessarily I didn't actually get scared. But one of the creepier moments were when his uh the character the dracula character would repeat or whisper what one of the crewmates said i was like that's some fucked up shit man (laughs) it was like the scene when the uh the cook started rowing off by himself and he's like praying and then dracula starts praying in the same voice like that is fucking funny and creepy as hell All right, so now the subjective and arguably the fun part of this whole, uh, you know, breakdown is just talking about the story and acting. Um, so the 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 previous little quick segment we had right before this, we were talking about Javier, and that man is amazing. Um, he was the hobo in it. He was in the conjuring. He played the crooked man, which was creepy as shit when I saw that. And he did that one. He, he is a very good creature actor along. Who's the other guy who's in, um, Guillermo del Toro's film. I'm trying to remember. Oh, Oh, yeah, it's escaping my brain, but those, these two guys do creature creature acting at its finest and i i feel as though like if you watch it it's one of those things that feels like is easy i guess you know what i mean to be oh you just put on a bunch of prosthetics after you've been in the the chair for three hours and then you go create this otherworldly creature you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. those two guys i cannot remember his name and it's upsetting me Doug Jones. Yes, Doug Jones. Oh, shit. Doug Jones. Yeah, Javier and Doug, man, they are two of my favorite creature actors. And they make it look so effortless. And, I mean, I got to be honest. I don't think it is. As an actor myself, like, creating, you know, I'm used to creating, quote, unquote, real world people, you know. So that's easier. You just borrow from others and you you make amalgamations of, of how to move 
based off of other people or what you think this character has gone through, you know, but something otherworldly. And they and I feel as though each of their performances is always something different. And it's the way they move. They have such a control over their body. It is crazy fucking impressive to me. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah every, every movie is different. I, again, if you watch some movies where people are like zombies or some other mm. monster, it, mm. it, most of the time it's, it's pretty terrible. Yeah, 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 agree. And also, like Doug, like this guy Javier, like ladies, guys, folks, look up Javier Botet. This is a pretty good looking man. I'm not going to like he's an attractive man. And yet he plays like these ugly characters. And I don't maybe he's trying to live vicariously or he he doesn't like all the attention of being a decently attractive guy. So just chooses to play ugly characters. I don't know. But yeah, he did a great job. Like I said, in my opinion, with that movement of the initial creature introduction was amazing. 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 I don't know how much he I'm curious how much he performed once it became bat like did he do mocap or did you know what I'm saying did they take his likeness or was it just completely CGI kind of sort of speaking yeah, of which I'm not sure how they did the post uh, the CGI stuff how much mm-hmm. of CGI versus uh actually the actor Yeah and see that that is the only I guess uh con to doing it this way is because we aren't doing a whole lot of research before we we start breaking down and talking to you guys so we don't know but part of that part of the reason I don't do it ahead of time is because I don't want to spoil anything or accidentally read something that I didn't want that wasn't supposed to to find out about so I want to try to keep everything as fresh and as surprising to me as possible so because oftentimes, would you agree that trailers and teasers kind of ruin movies, Tyler? I think so. And they show way too much. Oh, yeah. The the entire story. And by the time you get there, then nothing is left to surprise you or keep you invested. It's just a longer version of the trailer. So, yeah. Yeah. According to some research, it actually doesn't spoil the movie or even hamper people from going to see it. Really now? Wow, that's interesting. You see, I've never that's well, thank you for sharing that, because I honestly I get. Well, yeah, I guess if that is the case, if they've done the research, then maybe that's why the studios keep deciding to do them in that manner. Yeah. But I also wonder, like the research that they did, are these, quote unquote, you know, self-professed cinephiles or these just the average moviegoer that doesn't care because for me i just want to go and be surprised now sometimes i have just played roulette and watched a movie with at the theater or at home and just watched it and been pleasantly surprised numerous times by movies like that and i think that to me is a better movie experience versus having everything laid out but i'm also not one of those people i don't like when movies pandered to me like I'm an idiot, though. What did you think about Mr. Uh, Corey here? Mr. Clemens, excuse me. I don't have like a bad thing to say about anyone in the cast. Uh, Corey was great. I totally forgot he was even American. I thought his accent was was really good, but mm. I, you know, maybe an actual British person totally disagrees, but I, <laughs> I thought he pulled it off really well. 
Agreed. Yeah. Um, it's funny you say that because the first time I, I don't know, I guess because of I, I agree. I love pretty much everything that I've seen Corey do. I love it. In fact, I was really I was a little upset. I was talking about it in the pre-production segment that one of the theater shows I did was called. I can't remember the name of it, but now I do. Top Dog Underdog. And it's just a two hander play that I did. Mm-hmm. And Corey did it with um man who did he perform with i'm trying to remember but anyway Corey ended up doing it on broadway and i was so excited because i was going to try to watch it but you know life happens etc etc so by the time i had some downtime and some funds i went to go look for it and it had already shut down and i was a little saddened by it. I'm trying to remember. It was Corey Hawkins. Oh, yeah. And Yaya Abdul-Mateen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, from Watchmen. Yeah. Oh, my God. Those two actors, first of all, are, are just fucking amazing. But I really wanted to see that play on Broadway. But it was already gone by time. Man. Oh, it would have been so good. Anyway, Corey. I love Corey. Love everything this man does. He has this this believability about him where his performances are so subtle, you know? Right. And it hardly ever feels like, and when I say hardly, I've never seen him do something where I feel as though he's trying. It just seems, it just seems so natural, you know? So you 100% agree with you. And Liam Cunningham, like he's just fucking amazing. But also Liam, I feel the guy from um, Captain Elliot from Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. I also feel as though, great actor but those roles this type of role is his bread when i say brandon but i don't know if that's literally where he makes his money from but i feel as though he just falls into those these type of roles without questioning you know what i mean yeah. like that's you need the strong piece yeah yeah like the strong burly man's man yep. who can teach you a thing or two kind of situation I was like, okay cool I'll tell you one person who really surprised me. Who's was what was that little kid's name? I can't remember. Um Oh yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Toby. Man, you know, I was thoroughly sometime kid actor. Woody actors. Norman is his name. Woody Norman. Okay, yeah, that's the actor's name. Yeah. I was pleasantly surprised by him. I, I feel as though sometimes little kids can be hit or miss where it's like, okay, it's just a little kid trying to act. And then you have some kids that are like, oh, is is there an adult in this kid? Like Dakota Fanning, when she first came out, like she had no reason to be that good of an actress at whatever age she was, you know? Yes. But I really. Yeah, I know. Right. But I really loved Toby's performance. Like and I feel as though it helped. It did help to ground it. I liked how he was the, the linchpin almost to connect everything. So. By Clemens saving him, that allowed him to get on the boat. They kind of, you know, formulated a, a friendship together, a kinship or what have you. And then the animals, you know, all died and then he felt bad about it. So it, I felt as though he was kind of sort of that emotional thing. And, and almost, in my opinion, I could be wrong, but almost... A combination between Clemens and Toby were where we, the audience, sh- should feel right at place. You know, you had yeah, Toby the story. where. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because everybody else was kind of hardened, you know, ship 
people, crewmates and everything else. And you had Toby, who was young, who, yeah, he knew about stuff around the ship. But I feel as though his um, youthfulness kind of lended a hand to our night, you know, naivete on on what it is to to be a ship on a ship, you know, like him giving a tour. That's kind of where we are. I feel as though unless we and most people probably haven't, you know, sailed a ship, especially a ship like that, yep. that that was our window, our connection to the story. And then Clemens, of course, being a doctor. So he was a fish out of water as well, too. So I feel like the pairing of those two together worked really well as far as putting us into the mindset of what the hell is happening, you know? Yeah, I thought they had um, pretty good chemistry uh, to criticize the film. I thought a few times when they were like having their conversation after the dog died, mm. uh, Clemens and Toby, I felt like it was way too short and over way too fast. You see, I, I agree. Cause the scene just ends. Yeah. I wonder if anything was left on the cutting floor. It's funny you say that because that's what I was referencing. That was one of the main things I was referencing was that um, was a really nice scene. Like between the two, like, I didn't because sometimes you see kids and they're like, <laughs> I'm like, mm, OK, you're just trying to be what's name. And I felt, you know, I'm not saying the kid's going to win the Oscar per se, but I felt what he was talking about. And to imagine and the, it was cool because he was also taking responsibility, you know, like when we we're younger kids and we want and an adult finally gives us something to do and like, yeah, I'm approving myself. And then for that one thing to be taken away, you know, then you got a crew of however many guys that all need to eat like that's food yeah. you know once again they're not going to the supermarket to pick up the food so not only did he fail and his and a lot of you know a lot of psychologists would tell you like kids oftentimes uh take guilt onto themselves even if it's something that's not directly their fault mm. so you have this child childhood guilt that he just had from failing in his mission so to speak but then also, well, shit, now it's food. It's, it's even bigger than like, oh, clean your room or, you know what I'm saying? Something like that. Like, oh, snap. Now, you know, people going to may go hungry. And not only that, as a child, seeing those animals gruesomely destroyed, you know, even if he had survived, that would have, I'm sure that would have left a mark, you know what I mean, on him at some point in time. I... And and admittedly, I, I know that I liked his character because uh, Dracula, like, yanked his ass up to kill him. And I was like, oh, he's just going to turn him into one of him. And they actually killed him. I was like, oh, man. That's actually one of the surprises in the movie for me. I was, I was kind of surprised they did that so early on. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I'm curious as to why they did. But I think... I think I appreciate it because I feel as though it was turning it up to another notch, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. I think it was, at least when I was watching it, it was like, oh, shit, they ain't playing around. Yeah. No, no. You know, like, if they, they're going to kill the, the innocent fucking kid after the dog, after his dog died, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm like, oh, oh, everybody's about to get fucking murdered on this, on this ship. It's game over. The kid died. All you people are dying. All you adults are definitely dying. Oh, yeah. So yeah, that was that was cool. And his send off was nice too. Um, 
I did like I like the fire that they did, which is normally, but sometimes you know they just have him ash. He even caught his father on fire too when he went to touch him and melted his skin. That was crazy, man. They had, it was surprises like that that kept me intrigued. Yeah, I, I, I the first half of the film is quite strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, only time for me that kind of falters towards the end, but yeah, the build up. Yeah, I, I was I was sold the first at least 45 minutes yeah and and i think i would agree i i do feel as though it lost some of its hold on me um mm-hmm. during the latter half and like i said i i you know mark part of that down to just showing the bat creature so now that intrigue isn't there anymore and right also i guess where are the stakes now you know so Mm-hmm. The killing Toby off was a surprise, and it was like, "Oh shit, okay, things are serious." But I also feel like after that, because he was theoretically and from presentation, like I mean, he was the innocent kid. Like he's the one that I feel most people should feel, you know, that that heart jerk when he dies. Like, oh shit, the kid. Oh man. But, but after mm-hmm. that, like, where do you go? Like, if you kill the other people, I'm like. Ah longer you know what i mean like people that are there yeah there to die though yeah like they already had the whole the conversation around the dinner table like well, what are you going to do with your money oh i'm gonna go to a brothel and you know have sex for a month and it was like okay so the innocent guy is gone how do you up the ante and make us care more um about the the upcoming yeah. victims you know yeah the, what they well, i feel like one thing they tried to do was I don't know how you felt about it, but the kind of love story they tried to force between Clemens and Anna, I just didn't think worked. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm not one for the, the, um, the forced love stories. Yeah. That whole Titanic bullshit at the end was like, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 I didn't feel anything. For that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I definitely agree. I was expecting, and this has nothing to do with her, Miss Francoisie her performance as Anna, Mm -hmm. because I liked her performance for the most part. I don't really understand. I feel as though her character was there literally for exposition dumps. Yeah. Now, it wasn't like, it wasn't gratuitous, but her character was there for the exposition and and that's it. Yeah, explain everything to everyone. I was saying she was going to, catch him up on everything i thought she was gonna be like dracula's right hand man in a way i kept waiting for her to like turn on them see and that i think would have been cool especially because i kept showing the marks and she was like i can hear his thoughts and blah 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 yeah and yeah i didn't think about that that i feel would have made it hmm yes i feel as though a lot of people like you and i were just like you just said in what I was kind of thinking would happen was that she would turn on them. And maybe that's why they chose not to have her turn against the crew possibly. But I feel as though her character wasn't needed period. I feel as though wouldn't miss anything really. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, I know they were in, um, you know, uh, Bulgaria or what have you, but, the amazing thing and the thing about this whole like the drac the dracula folklore is that it precedes itself it goes beyond the the shores of just that one area where it started you know and i feel as though if they didn't have her in there because i don't feel like there was a need for her, that one of the shipmates 
the Oregon guy who was probably one of my favorite um, supporting actors, Stefan Kepik, mm-hmm. Kepisic, man, he did a fantastic job as Og- Ogren. But I feel as though, but he was already, because sailors allegedly are already superstitious and they established that in this film. And I just feel as though when the next stuff started happening and people were seeing stuff, then one of them could have said, I've heard stories about blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? No, yeah, it had been so simple. Yeah. And I feel as though that way is not an exposition dump. You know what I mean? Like it was with Anna. It could be them talking about this legend that they heard. And, you know, the, 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 and then the rest of the crewmate trying to figure the crew is, is a superstition or is it real? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that would have served better than the Anna character. And like, even when she burnt herself at the end, I didn't, I didn't care. Yeah. I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta admit to you and to the audience. Like I kind of laughed. Like when they showed the, fu- the, the funeral pyre out at sale, like, Oh shit. Okay. That's the thing. Like, I just thought it was kind of humorous and then right. might've been because of how they um, introduced and carried out her character. Once again, no disrespect to the actor. Yeah. I didn't think her performance was bad. The script just gave her nothing. Yeah. I mean, I guess her arc would have been like some kind of redemption because I don't know. And yeah, she saved Clemens and I also think like, Oh, you saved me and you saved mm-hmm. me. I'm like, Oh, ah, oh, who cares? Once again, like you said, that force kind of connection. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't have strong chemistry. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it wasn't enough. I just don't understand why. That is, without a doubt, the the gleaming thing I did not like about this film. Even, I, I disliked her character being in there even more than I disliked the bat. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. To, to me, we're going to do a rewrite right now. This is my thoughts, okay? No fucking Anna. <laughs> And and Toby's dad, Captain uh, Elliot, right? So right, he still dies, but he dies protecting his son like any parent would normally do, right? So whatever, that can still happen. The other deaths can still happen how they happen. Have Toby and Clemens be the last two surviving. And I don't know if I... I feel as though if they made it and then... Now Clemens, you know, they had the the tag at the end of the movie where he's hunting down Dracula or whatever. If Clemens had Toby, right? So they're the only two survivors. So now you have a shared horrific experience that bonds you. Clemens, you probably weren't ready for a fucking kid. This kid has been jacked up. He hasn't seen a, a nine foot bat kill everybody, including his damn dog and his pappy, you know what I mean? And now Clemens has to rate, because what I, they, they, Clemens talked about, you know, being top of his class, being a doctor, but because of colored skin, he still wasn't accepted. So now, mm-hmm. to me, like, now you're an African-American guy who's not accepted by society, raising a white kid. There's extra, like, you know, th- th- his life that's supposed to carry on after the movie that they, you know, alluded to, and that should happen, technically. Like to mm-hmm. me, that definitely like convolutes his life. Now he has to. I'm not accepted, but this you know this orphan kid that I'm having to raise is accepting. That's a different mm-hmm. level there. And then the you know the kid just got to get over it. And then I understand Clemens and his search. So 
Not saying that Toby and Clemens should form like a vampire hunting team, but does he hunt him at night or like, oh, I have to protect somebody. I have to protect this kid because what if Dracula wants to finish the, the story and kill Toby as well? Because Toby and Clemens are the ones that got away. So he has to protect Toby. I don't know. I just feel as though. Yeah, if you're going to set up a sequel, that's definitely the way to do it. You know, like, and it just made, it would just make it more comp because, you know, it's all about storytelling is all about conflict and drama. And right now he's just hunting the guy. And I'm like, okay. But I feel as though his life would have been a lot more complicated with a kid dropped off and the desire to go hunt this guy down or to protect Toby. So now that mm-hmm. that protection, if he come if he's coming after Toby, because he's the one that got away, the, the Moby Dick of Dracula, you know, and like now I have to I have to go. Well, now I got to go kill this motherfucker because he's trying to kill this kid and me. So, you know, one of my other issues, I forgot, I did have another big issue, okay? This issue was that Clemens is the probably the smartest book smart on the crew. Everybody else has street smarts. And I feel as though they all started to recognize that they were being hunted at night. Yeah, you're, you're getting close to my big issue with the, the last part of the film, too. <laughs> I think we're right on the same page. Yeah, it felt like they know the rules now. Like at a certain point, after especially with Anna, you know, with her explaining everything that's going on, they know that Dracula is like hiding out in the coffins, and they they know that he can't be in sunlight. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm trying to remember, is there like a scene where they actually go through and try to open up all the coffins and like expose them to light, or at least search for him during the day, or hide hide at night? Yeah, there was that little small scene. They opened up like two or three crates, and then they found his. Yes. But they waited. But yes, I agree 100% with you. My biggest issue with the film is I feel as though they started to pick up on that pat that pattern of he hunts at night. And during the daytime, everybody was like, we're just going to keep sailing. And then they get like, oh, it's nighttime. Somebody stay on watch. Yep. Like, why? It's it's a fucking ship. How yeah, many Megan. fucking places can this vampire hide on this ship in broad daylight? Right. Yeah, it just everybody just turned kind of stupid. And then also, let's you know, oh, since we're back, since we're talking about this, fucking Anna, like Anna, do you not know Anna? Like, bitch, you're here for <laughs> you're here for exposition dump. Can you not like give a warning because the because you talked about how your village knew about him and blah blah blah, which I would assume they know about his weakness because in the beginning. The people from Romany that dropped them off were like, we got to get the fuck out of here before the sunset. You know what I mean? Like, so why would you not say anything and encourage the people or at least encourage Clemens to try to encourage the people to look for this thing in daylight? Mm-hmm. How many places can it hide? It's a ship, man. It's not a city, a ship. Uh, anyway. Yeah, and I think, which is the crazy thing, because uh, uh, crazy and the usual thing, like, I feel as though with the film, it's not just about how good you start. You got to finish well. Is You know, in fact, I feel as though sometimes 
a strong finish will make a film better than a strong beginning with a weaker finish. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, that's the way I feel. If you can like nail the ending but have a, s- a slower beginning, I, I'm, I'm typically a hundred times okay with that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So biggest three issues. Everybody's an idiot, so they deserve to die because nobody decided to search for this damn thing in broad daylight. Anna, who Anna, the expedition dump trist, failed at her damn job. <laughs> she was like, "Oh, let me tell you about um, you know, the story of this guy Dracula, but I'm not going to tell you everything." But once again, and see, this this goes back to the point in what you were saying. If she would have turned against them, I would appreciated the fact that she didn't tell him about his weakness before. Yeah, that would make sense then. Yeah. So that's kind of our pros and cons. What what do you think about did you overall opinion? Did you enjoy the film? Would you recommend it to others? Would you watch it again? Let's see. Uh I enjoyed enjoyed half of the movie for me. Agreed. Uh I probably don't see myself watching it again, to be honest with you. <laughs> Not anytime soon at least. Yeah. Uh it'd probably be hard for me to recommend too. I'd have to know the person's taste. This is like, you know, not one I could like tell like a general audience person. I think most people would be, would think it was mediocre at best. Yeah. yeah. I, Even your average cinema goer. Yeah. I definitely feel they were trying to tap into, for me, I agree as far as I thought it was just, I thought it was okay. I, I, I feel as though trying to tap into that older um, horror movie monster feel in the beginning, the first mm-hmm. half was a nice touch because it's not it has is not something that's been done in you know decades, and it definitely gave you almost Nosferatu, you know, feel, mm-hmm. especially in the beginning. And that to me, is inspired by yeah. That. And see, that to me was the cool part. And then once, and I feel as though like that first half, like you were saying, had that old school. Uh, it, it had that old horror movie feeling vibe to it and then the back half kind of turned into contemporary horror bullshit of yeah i thought even the staging like uh, the blocking of like the end was just incredibly boring especially with the the vampire he was just grabbing people yeah throwing them yeah grabbing them it was just very boring and then the sequence where they're trying to get in to rescue the son when he's locked in the the captain's quarters Mm -hmm. you're like they bust the hole through the door, and you can clearly see the, the handle there where they can unlock it. No one could reach it. Yeah. It's um, yeah. kind of I don't know. But just little then, things like that. Yeah, but you're also right, because even then, like, Anna had to come, like, you, you, you have gun. a gun in your hand. Yeah. Why did Anna have to come? Jesus, man. Like, I don't, what? I just. Yeah, I was like, why did no one else think to do that? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like I said, it, the latter half it just turned into more contemporary horror film stuff, yeah. you know? Yeah know what happened the second half is definitely not the same movie it feels like agreed agreed but you know sometimes you know i know i don't know if they did it for this but sometimes you know you have to do the the viewing for audience and they give their what what is that called you know you know what i mean when they, they go, like, like test screenings yeah test screenings yeah yeah and then audience give their opinion so it might have been a bunch of jackasses that didn't like the maybe the back half was better and then the people like you know what I kind of wish, uh, you know, it was a Titanic situation. Then it just all fumbled and became bullshit. You know, I was, yeah, I, like you said, the first couple of minutes gave me a lot of, I was excited about it. 
because of shadows and glimpses. And I was like, oh, man, are they trying to tap into some alien Ridley Scott kind of vibe where you barely show the thing? And then after that, it was like, nope, never mind. Yeah, never the, mind. The first few kills are really good and gory, too. Yeah. Ah, oh, yeah, I know. After Ogarin, then, yeah, you're right, because the, the remaining three or four kills were very blah. Like, Ogren had, he was, I think that was the moment. Like you said, uh, the door shooting and Ogren's on the floor. And I think that was the moment that it started to go downhill for me. Because right. at that point in time, Toby had died and there was mm-hmm. just a bunch of stupid people. But even the Ogren, when uh, he was trying to get to Toby and just smashing his face into that door, I was like, what the hell? This is, that's fucking dope. And then yeah. after that, it was like, done i was so into it and so sold the first like you know 50 minutes or so of the movie i was i was really into it i was like oh this is way better than i expected mm-hmm. yeah okay well it looks like we agree on that um let's see i'm trying to mr andre what else did he do mortal okay that's on my list actually to watch oh, that's <gasps> the filmmaker? yeah oh hey, film i know is a uh, troll hunter i was about to do you took okay so see, ladies and gentlemen, this is the this is the thing. So Tyler just mentioned Troll Hunter, and I watched Troll Hunter that he wrote. The difference is he wrote and directed Troll Hunter. If you haven't seen Troll Hunter, it came out twenty ten. That's a really good movie. Like in my yeah, opinion, what do you think? I'm also I looked. So I just, I've actually seen another movie he did. It's scary stories to tell in the dark. I don't know if you oh, he did that one. Yeah, I didn't know he did that one too. Oh, nice. It wasn't a bad movie. It definitely felt like an intro to horror film for like young teens. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, because I think that's based off of like um, a little horror. Uh, um, I actually they have are. one of those books still. Yeah, but I used to read those all the time. Yeah. It's and for like you know, preteen. Yeah, definitely. Kids. Definitely. And you know what? I didn't because of like you, what you were saying and because I read those books growing up, I knew what I was getting into. So I didn't dislike it. Oh, man, he directed the autopsy of Jane Doe. Wow. You know what, man? That's you know I what? This is why like you can't like it's so interesting. Like you can have a director that writes and directs and they do an amazing job. And then because like I said, if y'all haven't seen Troll Hunter. It is an original piece that truly, once again, had that old school monster movie feel, but it adapted it to the contemporary um, world. And I thought it was pretty well done. Like the lore that was created, that he created in that film was pretty fucking cool. Like I was like, this is cool. But yeah, this one, not so much. I really enjoyed that one. Yeah. Especially the found footage movies. It's one of the better ones. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So, Okay. Well, there you have it, folks. Um, thank you so much, Tyler, for joining us on Flicks and Scripts uh, for you, you, your your maiden voyage on the podcast. <laughs> Hopefully, you'll be back. Um, Love to. So, yeah, th- this was a it was a good experience. Uh, I appreciate you coming by. Like I said, uh, the idea behind this is was always to do uh, to break down films with friends, especially those who work in the industry in some capacity or trying to get in the industry. So it was fun to actually talk with somebody else other than, cause normally it's just me talking to myself, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was cool. And, and it's also was nice because you brought up some very valid points that I hadn't thought about 
initially. And that's why I that's the reason why we do the podcast. So, yeah. Any last words you want to um give about the film or anything else or a film? What? Yeah. How about this? What is a film mm-hmm. you uh, upcoming film that if you could think of one off the top of your head that you were looking forward to seeing? Uh, I do have one. Uh, the bike riders. The trailer for that released like the other day. Oh, the it's bike good, riders! Like, uh, like Goodfellas meets Sons of Anarchy is Jeff Nichols' new film. He did the movie Mud. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah, I just looked it up. Oh man, look at that cast: Tom, yeah, Tom Hardy, Hart. Austin Butler. Austin Butler, ladies and gentlemen, he was um Elvis Presley most recently. Tom Hardy, you all know Tom Hardy. Norman yep. Reedus is in there. Michael Shannon. Yeah. Oh my Boyd Holbrook, they got a cast. That's what I'm talking about. So yeah, that's the one on my radar right now. And okay. uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, just because anything for says he does, I'm gonna show up for. Oh yeah, yeah. I still haven't watched his five hour um The Irishman. <laughs> it's it's on my it. list. Huh? <laughs> I know it's so long though, man. It's so long. <laughs> like I'm I'm yeah. one of those people I enjoy movies. But like a three hour movie to me is like egregious. I'm like, come on, guys, like three hours, even if it's good. I'm like, but three hours. But yeah. OK, so the bike riders. OK, yeah. So, you know, what? maybe we'll have you back Um, after the bike riders come out. We could have you talk about that and yeah, get, get your opinion. Cool. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So look out for the bike riders coming out. Do you know, is it a theatrical release? Or do you know offhand? Uh, Yeah. December 1st, 2023 is what they got it slated for. Nice. Okay, so the bike ride is coming out the end of 2023, December 1st. So looking forward to that. And yeah, we'll maybe we'll talk about that one then. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Tyler, for stopping by. I appreciate your opinion on the show. It definitely made it a lot more fun. I was about to say funner. That's not a thing. So yeah. Um, <laughs> any parting words? Uh, for me, not a lot. Hopefully uh, you guys check out the interview and uh, any upcoming projects we're working on. Awesome. Thank you so much. Hey, guys, uh, that's going to do it for us here at Flicks and Scripts. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, This one might have been a little bit longer, but that's probably going to happen. We have special guests stop by. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you for hopefully you watched it and might agree. If you got any comments, concerns, make sure to email us, DM me, whatever, you know, give me five star ratings. If you so please share like, you know, all those social things and do me a favor. One of the, the, the things about this podcast is we love talking about film. We love talking about art. So no matter what your art talent is, just go do it. It doesn't matter if a thousand people are going to see it or just one person. You were born to earth with the talent. Showcase that art. Art is love, guys. Y'all have a good one.